0: You have your Bible again with you this morning. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to continue in the next couple of verses there. We're continuing in with Paul's theme that he began in verse 1, thinking about what it means to walk and to please God and to do so more and more. And even as I say those words to you this morning I want to be careful that uh, because we as Christians even can be confused sometimes about what it means to please God that's really the purpose of this portion of scripture to help us to understand those things but but in the background we need to even consider um, what's our thinking about or what's it like as we consider pleasing God because the old way of thinking can can linger in our minds we can approach this idea of pleasing God in the way that we did when we were living in sin. See, that old way of thinking is driven by fear. Now, you may recognize this or not, but fear is what motivates people who are without Christ. Whether it's a fear of sadness, or a fear of pain, or a fear of loneliness, maybe a fear of failure. Ultimately, the, the Bible describes this fear is is grounded in a fear of death. Hebrews 2 points out that this, this fear is what drives people like slaves to do what they can to, to avert all of the consequences that death brings to people. And so that's the slavery that marks people in the world without Christ, like, like hamsters on a wheel, constantly spinning, trying to, to push aside these consequences that, that lead in death up to death. But the good news of the gospel for us who trust in Christ is that Christ has redeemed us, has saved us, has set us free even from fear. Sin had once enslaved us to a futile way of life, but God has broken those chains off of us. And and he is now uh, restoring and healing the wounds that are left by the shackles that have come off of our bodies. So we are no longer like slaves dominated by a terrible master through fear but we are motivated by the perfect love of God which casts out fear and so now we are not slaves but sons before a loving father eager to please that father who has shown us his love and sometimes inadvertently we as Christians can can look upon God as that old slave master But God does no longer demand obedience through a terrifying fear. Our response to this loving father is one of pleasing God out of the love of a grateful heart. God has shown us his magnificent love, and we respond to him in love. And so our goal to please him in this life is a mark of love, not of subservience. This is the theme of pleasing God that Paul is speaking about not one of a terrifying demand of a harsh God, but one in which God has done so much for us that we are simply returning to God what we want to give to him. So let's read the next two verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses nine and 10. Paul writes, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In the paragraph just before these two verses we looked at last week, Paul was zeroing in on the idea of holiness. That holiness must not include sexual immorality. But here in verses 9 and 10... God's word is directing us that pleasing God must include this idea of genuine love and specifically a love for the people of God. Maybe you can see the complement here. Pleasing God must not involve sexual immorality, but it must involve love. It combines these two ideas of holiness and love together. There's a putting off of the sin of sexual immorality, which is, really a fake kind of love, a self-love. But in God's plan, there's a putting on of genuine love, a self-giving sacrificial service to others and specifically to God's church. Now, Paul brings up this topic maybe because the the people at Thessalonica had sent a question to him. uh, Timothy had had visited uh, the church to see how the church was doing. If you remember... Many, many, many months ago, I pointed out to you that the Thessalonian church had been facing a lot of affliction and suffering, even for the gospel, and Paul was hindered from being present with them, but he had great concern for the church, so he was worried about them, hoping and praying that their faith was persisting, so he sent Timothy to go visit the church to see how the church was doing, so we're going to read about that in chapter 3, in verse 6, it tells us that Timothy has returned to Paul. And Timothy brought with him two pieces of very good news to Paul. The first piece of good news was that they, they indeed did have faith. They were continuing in the faith. They were persisting in their trust of the Lord, even though they were facing suffering for the gospel. But the other bit of good news that Paul received from Timothy is that the church, in verse 6, uh, he brings good news of your faith and also their love. The church was not only persisting in faith, but also love for one another. And so Paul is encouraged by this good news because genuine love is just as much a mark of the work of God as genuine faith is. And this church was persisting in both faith and love. Back in verse one, or verse three of chapter one, Paul thanks God for the church's labor of love. In chapter three and verse 12, He prays to God that God would, uh, that the Lord would increase and abound, would make their, (laughs) I'm sorry, would, the Lord would make their love increase and abound for one another and for all. So this topic of love is not a small portion in this letter. Paul is thinking about their love frequently, praying to God, bringing it up, reminding them of this call to love. Because love is a central feature, not only in this church, but in the Christian life. Last week I pointed you to think about that question: what what does it mean to be a Christian? And we we spoke of how being a Christian was, was being different, being set apart, being set apart out of this world and being a different kind of people, a holy people for the Lord. That includes not only abstaining from sexual immorality, it also includes displaying genuine, a God kind of love. We are in this world but we are not of this world. So just as sexual immorality does not describe God's people, the mixed up and confused understandings about love in this world also does not describe God's people. What does describe God's people is genuine, true love that we understand from God himself. An older book titled Heaven is a World of Love in that book, uh, the writer connects this theme of love with his thoughts about heaven, and he says, since God is the perfect fountain of love, and since heaven is the dwelling place of God, then heaven will be filled with a world of love. Heaven is a place where love abounds, and that may not be the kind of thinking that you have very often, but heaven will be the place that is filled with the saints of God and whose hearts This love of God dwells and reigns. Friends, if you plan to be a resident of heaven, then love must be a marker of who you are. One other writer says, love is not a virtue among a list of virtues, but the sum and substance, the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. Love describes how God acts towards his redeemed children. And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, love describes how God's children act towards one another. So the apostle John said it very succinctly, we love because he first loved us. So here's our internal motivation to love. What is it that drives God's people to love? It is nothing less than God himself. He has placed his love within us when he gave us new life. So love has everything to do with the Christian life. What I want us to focus on today is in verse nine, this phrase where Paul says, you have been taught by God to love one another. It is because God taught this church that they didn't need more instruction. I find that very interesting. You have no need that anyone should write to you, anything else, because you've been taught by God And because God had taught them, they were actually already loving the believers throughout the region of Macedonia. They didn't need anyone to give them more instruction about this love because they were already doing it and it was broadcasting to the region around them because they were taught by God. And this is a great recommendation. Would it be that all of God's people could have this designation upon them? You've been taught by God and you're doing this thing. Paul is not rebuking the church because they lacked love. He's encouraging them and urging them to do their love more and more. But certainly, Paul is giving God the glory in all this because he gives God the the praise. God is the one who's responsible for this church's love. They are taught by God. Literally, these words mean you are God-taught. Like Paul is... referring to their their most lofty teacher in this. They weren't taught by any human person, they were taught by God. So there are some of us who went to college and graduated and there are some of us who went to an Ivy League school. You know the difference, right? Not just I went to law school, but I went to Harvard Law. And those who find pride in their alma mater would attach the name of that school to where they received that education this is somewhat the idea. The people at the church of Thessalonica weren't just taught about how to love, it was God who taught them. When God teaches a lesson, it is transforming. You remember when Jesus asked Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, the, the people say all these things about, about me, but who do you say that I am? What did Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus, how did he reply? Blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. His knowledge, his conviction, his faith wasn't built on something that just his own mind and the people around him could declare to him. This was a lesson given to him by God himself. Everything important in our faith is granted to us by God, right? Ephesians 2 says faith is a gift of God. The Bible leads us to understand that even repentance is something that has, has to be granted to us by God. Thinking about Jesus some more, Paul sounds a lot like Jesus in John chapter six, where Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Jesus said in John 6, 45, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. But then Jesus elaborates. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me so this teaching from God is what brings people what draws people to Christ and then in verse 47 truly I say to you whoever believes has eternal life so Jesus connects this teaching and this hearing and learning and ultimately believing to eternal life goes all the way back to the the teaching being taught by God See, Jesus isn't speaking about this cold transfer of information to our heads. We, we sometimes can get caught up in just learning a bunch of facts in the Christian life, but it's much more than that. Jesus is referring to a, a divine persuasion in the inner man where this person is, is experiencing the truth. He's not just hearing it, but it's, it's taking an effect upon him. This is a sovereign and supernatural work of God a person doesn't just come to Jesus by knowing the facts about him. Sure, we must know truth about Jesus, but that's not enough. Many people come to to knowledge and facts about Christ, and they stop there, but they are not saved from their sin. It doesn't even only require knowing the facts about Jesus and saying, yes, I agree with them. A lot of people hear the truth about Jesus and agree with it and understand it, but they stop there, and they're not saved from their sin. Saving faith requires the furthest step. Yes, hearing the truth about Christ. Yes, hearing the truth and saying, I agree, it is true. But it's also one further step. Hearing the truth, agreeing with the truth, and believing and trusting in the truth about Christ. Or more precisely, trusting in Christ himself. This church is the effect of being taught by God not simply knowledge in the mind, but a change of heart, a change in the inner man. The content of this teaching from God has a drastic effect, a life-changing effect. When God teaches a lesson, it is a fully understood, a fully effective lesson. We have some teachers in the room, how would you like to have that kind of effect in your teaching? Where every lesson you presented was one where every student got everything you wanted them to understand and their life was changed by it. When God teaches, there's nothing like what mom used to say. It goes in one ear and out the other. It happened like this for the church of Thessalonica also. Look back in chapter 1 verse 5. Paul speaks about when the gospel came to this church. Verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, it did come in word, but also in three things, power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So when Paul and Timothy and Silas came to Thessalonica, they were preaching the word of God. They were certainly speaking these words, but their words were accompanied with power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Now this describes the preaching of these messengers of the Lord to the church but it also describes implies to us the the reception that the church gave Paul preached with power he preached with the Holy Spirit and in full conviction but the church received his preaching in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction in other words this preaching took effect on the church it was powerful to change their hearts it grew in them a full conviction of the truth it moved the hearers to a different kind of life, a life so different that in verse 9. Paul says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This has a sanctifying effect on the people. No longer were they like the, the people in Thessalonica around them, worshiping these dead and false and empty idols. They turned away from their idols to worship the true God. Not only that, but they, they changed in their hope for the future. In verse 10, they were waiting for his son from heaven. This was their expectation and their hope. It was for the return of Christ. This preaching of the gospel made a difference to them because it came with power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. But look back in verse four. What was Paul concluding about this talk about the power of the gospel? For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know that God has chosen you for salvation because we came preaching with power and that preaching had a powerful effect on you, so much so that you turned from from your idols to worship and expect uh, God's return in Christ. It had a real effect on you, so we're confident that God has chosen you for salvation. But look at what he refers to them by. What name does he give them? Brothers loved by God. This is the, the foundation of all that he is saying. The fact that God has chosen this church is because he loves this church. The fact that this church has received the powerful preaching of the word is is an effect of God's love upon them. The fact that they turned to God to worship him and not these false idols was because God has shown his love to them. God's love was the basis of their response in faith to this powerful preaching of the word. God taught the church, by sending his preachers and they declared this message of the gospel which is the essence of God's love for a sinful people. Church, all of you who have heard the gospel and received the gospel and believed on Christ because of the gospel, you too are a recipient and one who has experienced the love of God in your own heart because this is God's message of the gospel. It's one of his Amazing love for his people. Now notice, God doesn't just zap this understanding in our minds. No one wakes up in the morning and has been converted to Christ. When we speak about this teaching from God, it's not a magical sort of teaching. The Thessalonians heard the word of God preached. They heard the truth that the Apostle Paul and these evangelists brought to them. Today we still have God's word, we have these truths recorded in this book filled with words and we can read them and learn from them. pastors continue to to teach and to preach these salvation truths so that people would hear them and respond to them. There must be the, the word and the teaching of the word for anyone to come to Christ and know about God's love. Our Bibles teach us how God the Father was a part of this work of redemption, which is God's love. So God the Father is the one who planned our redemption. He's the overarching hand in the plan of redemption. And he's motivated by his own love for people. You might remember Ephesians chapter one that says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. And God worked this out because of his love. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible tells us also that God the Son is involved in this work. God the Son, Jesus Christ, taught his disciples about God's love, not only by his words, but also by his perfect example. You may remember John chapter 13, where Christ is having supper with his disciples, and what does he do? He, he stoops to the, the, the path of a servant, and he washes his disciples' feet. He takes the place of a slave among his friends, his disciples, and he washes their feet. And then in John thirteen thirty four, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And what is resonating in the minds of his disciples except this act that he just did. He stooped to the point of a servant. How should his disciples love? They should follow in his footsteps, take the path of a servant, and serve each other. This kind of love is marked by Christ's humble, sacrificial service for his people. But Jesus goes further in John chapter 15, and we read this passage a few moments ago. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Christ, you know, would eventually do this very thing. He would give the greatest act of love by sacrificing everything, not only the glory he had with the Father in heaven, not only his power on earth, but even to giving up his own life for the sake of his followers. He sacrificed even his bodily existence. then he would pray in John chapter 17, to the Father, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me might also be in them and I in them. Church, to know God through his son Jesus Christ is to know this divine love. God loved his son Jesus Christ. Christ showed the love of God to his people and now that love is understood by us, his disciples. That is the love that was worked out in the life and in the death of the son of God and so Ephesians 5 tells us Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her but being God taught thinking back to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 is not only understanding how God the father was involved in this teaching not only how God the son was involved but being taught by God involves all three persons of the Trinity and maybe primarily God the Holy Spirit It is God, the Holy Spirit, who does this heart-changing work towards love. So the whole world can hear the truths that I've just relayed to you about how Christ has even died for sin. But the whole world can hear those words like a wordy blog. Too long, don't care. But when God puts his Holy Spirit in the hearts of people, there is an experience of the truth. There is a, a recognition and an affirmation and a belief and a trust that this is true, this is real, and it applies to me. So Romans 5, 5 tells us God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus said will teach his disciples all things and will bring to remembrance all that he said to them. It is the work of the, the Holy Spirit that helps us truly understand this lesson that the Bible brings to us this truth from god the father about god the son father planned this work of love the son worked out this plan of love and the holy spirit pours that love into our hearts so it's real to each of us it's so central to the life of a christian that paul says you have been taught by god to love one another for the very purpose of loving one another God has done this work in his people so that we would go and do the same kind of work among ourselves together. Now our love is not limited to just the church. We are also to to be expressing love to the outside world. But Paul is focusing specifically today in these verses on loving one another within the church. And this church knew full well what genuine love is because they had received this kind of love from God himself They were God-taught people. And every Christian knows, at least to some degree, what love is, because to have faith is to trust in the very love of God given for you. If you are a Christian, then you have an idea. You understand, at least in some degree, what love is, because God has taught you and poured it into your heart. If I told you that was the introduction to the sermon, you might fall out of your chair. Don't do that. It was a very long introduction, but I have three implications of this teaching from Scripture. And they will be much shorter, I promise. Three implications of being taught by God to love one another. And we can answer the question, why do God's people love? Here are three answers. Because love is a God-taught instinct. It's like an instinct for God's people. It's not like a a viral pandemic that exercises its work on us. Love, the love of God is is an endemic characteristic. It It is within us already. It comes out of us. It is an instinct because God has told us what this love is. He has shown us what this love is. He has demonstrated to us his genuine love. And so to be a Christian who follows Christ is to be a product of God's divine love. This truth applies to every Christian. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you have the love of God within you. So a hindrance to God's kind of love is being a natural person. Now that sounds kind of confusing, but by natural, I'm referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. that says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So those who don't have the Spirit of God have a hard time understanding spiritual things. Brothers and sisters, this love that we're speaking of is a spiritual matter. So anyone without the Spirit of God cannot truly understand and describe what spiritual love is. So be very careful when you hear descriptions and explanations and and encouragements to love that are spoken by the world that is without the Spirit. They will be confused and they will be leading you off in the wrong direction. But we who have the spirit of God within us understand these spiritual matters, like what is true love? It is like an instinct in God's people, but instincts lead to habits. Point number two, I'm going really fast. Instincts lead to habits, so love is like a spiritual habit. Paul is commending the Thessalonian church about their love because they were actually putting it into practice. They didn't just learn it from God, but they were doing this thing. They were loving one another. So in verse 10, he says, this indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. They were taking advantage of whatever opportunities they had to, to demonstrate loving one another just as God had loved them. What God had poured into them, they were ready and pouring out to the other brothers in the region. This is what Paul somewhat expressing in Galatians 5.22. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? First of all, love. Like a tree that produces this fruit of love that has the Holy Spirit running like sap through its veins, what is inside determines what comes out on the outside. So to have the Holy Spirit on the inside means that the fruit of love will be produced on the outside now that same passage in galatians 5 we don't often quote a few verses earlier they're not as encouraging where paul lists the works of the flesh and in that list it is marked by all kinds of sinful ways of living the first of all would be sexual immorality but if we looked at that whole chapter galatians chapter 5 we could compare these two lists and and and, and gather this implication that love goes along with the spirit, goes along with this godly kind of living, and sinful ways of living don't measure up to the spiritual loving ways of living. I point all that out to you to help you think about if if you're hindered in love, it may be that your love is hindered because of a sinful pattern of life. To be marked by the works of the flesh means that you're not marked by the fruit of the spirit. So if you are harboring some sort of sin in life, that will certainly cause your love to be lacking in some area or another. Those who are marked by bitterness or envy or anger or jealousy or greed or some other pattern of sinful living will be stifled in their ability to love. So if that happens to be you this morning, then confess your sin to the Lord, hand it over to him and receive God's forgiveness over your sin, and be renewed to this habit, this ability to love God's people truly. And we don't know exactly how the church at Thessalonica was loving one another. Maybe they were involved in a true fellowship. Maybe they were charitably giving to the other people around them. That very well could be so, since Paul's pointing out they were loving the brothers throughout Macedonia. They were giving to the financial needs of the other brothers, whatever it is, the what of their love isn't as important as the fact that they were doing it. Whatever it was, chapter 1 verse 3 calls it a labor of love. So this work was a constant thing that was bringing them to a point of fatigue, maybe even to weariness. It was something that they were so constant and working at that it was causing them a a weakness, a weariness. They were not bitter about that kind of love. They kept at it, but it was such a mark of love that it was called a labor. I think we could add to this way that God teaches his people to love as uh, providential opportunities. What I mean by by that is if we look around this room, we see a lot of people that we are encouraged to love and indeed want to love. But maybe you don't know exactly how you can love all of these people. But God gives us opportunities to, to demonstrate love to one another. And so as you get to know one another, you, you find out about what's going on in another person's life. You know of a, of a need that they have or a loss that they've just encountered. Maybe you find out about some sin that needs to be addressed. But whatever it is, because of your interaction, because of your fellowship, God gives you the opportunity to express and demonstrate some love in the life of a believer. So let me point out that love is hindered by not participating in the body of Christ. Love requires a relationship. It requires a, an interaction. It requires encountering other people. And as you practice and and take advantage of these God-given opportunities to love, then you can strengthen your love muscles, as it were. The more you love, the stronger you can get at it. A very practical way to embark upon loving the brothers is to look through Scripture and find what does the New Testament say about one another. There are more than 30 one another commandments in the New Testament that I would encourage you to, to look for And if you want a tangible way to demonstrate love to your brothers and sisters in in this church even, start by practicing the one another's. In fact, there's a list on the table in the back if you're so interested to take it with you. I've done some of the studying for you. Chapter four, verse nine says that this love was a brotherly love. This is the kind of love that cares for members of your own immediate family. It is no exaggeration, church, to say, when you look around, these people are your brothers and sisters. Now, that may not be the most encouraging thing based on your history and your family. But when you consider that God has brought you together in the name of Christ, you may not have the same blood running through your veins, but you have the same spirit running in your heart. And so, in a very real sense, brothers and sisters We can say that term to each other. We are brothers and sisters. Let us live like brothers, exercising brotherly love. Love is not only an instinct, not only a habit, but I also see in verse 10 that it is a practiced effort. You may have been receiving a burden here that love is this natural thing that automatically comes out of you and All of us, when we look back in our life, we think that's not naturally what comes out all the time. But don't lose heart because even though love is something that we should understand because God has taught us, it is something that we have the habit of doing in in God's church if we're living by the Spirit, it is still something to develop within our lives. At the end of verse 10, Paul says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. We don't have much of a need for understanding just exactly what love is. We know that Christ uh, showed God's love by dying on the cross for our sin, by giving up everything that he had for our needs and for what was good for us. We don't even necessarily need to be taught to do it. The Holy Spirit in our hearts compels us. But we do need to be encouraged to abound in it to do so more and more, to let love, the love of God overflow into every crevice of our life, every relationship that we are a part of, every interaction with God's people that we have. This is certainly a lifestyle to increase in. So if you feel a little less than complete here, when I speak about love, don't lose heart. You're not alone. Each of us needs to practice and work on developing this kind of love for God's people, for other people around us? Think of this, many of you parents are are watching your children, hoping that they demonstrate some natural ability, some grand skill. Maybe they'll make it to the professional leagues. You're looking for what they can do, this natural skill, whether it's baseball or playing the piano or maybe some academic achievement. They're just really smart. But none of us parents would say, well, since my child has this natural ability, we're just going to let him sit and see what happens. You send him to practice. You tell him to practice the piano. You tell him to open the books and study. You, you help him to, to develop this natural ability that he has. It's the same way with love. God has built this into us. We have an understanding of what it is. We want to do it, but we need to practice it. We need to, to grow in it more and more. We need to, to develop it. But the good news is, 1 John 4, 12 tells us, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So as we practice this love, as we aim to, to mature in this love, God is the one who matures this love in us. He is the one who develops it and perfects us in it. God's love the perfect kind of love is perfected in us as we aim to do so more and more. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 13.8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Love is this obligation that will never be fully repaid. Peter, in his letter, says love one another earnestly from a pure heart keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. In 2 Peter chapter one, Peter is reflecting on the, the divine promises, these grand gifts from God that go so far as to letting us be a part of the divine nature. God is making his people like himself. But even Peter says in this letter, for this reason, this is 2 Peter 1.5, make every effort To supplement, to add to your faith. What does he say? Add virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness. And at the top of the list, brotherly affection and love. Love being the last on this list as if it's the pinnacle of Christian expression. It begins with faith and then at the apex of the Christian life is this expression of love. Not the empty kind of expressions that the world props up before us, but the kind of love that God has shown to us. So Peter continues, If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten what he was cleansed, that he was cleansed from his former sins. So, so here is a, a means for assurance, church, if you would practice these, these characteristics that Peter mentions, even brotherly affection and love, this, this will strengthen our assurance in Christ as we replicate what God has done for us, not to the extent that he has, but in the same manner that he has. As we love the brothers, then we, we will be strengthened even in our own assurance of our faith. But if we put love aside, if we forget about love, if we don't aim to develop this love, Peter said it's as if you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your sin. You've forgotten the great work that Christ has done for you. So church, like Peter said, make every effort. As Paul said, do so more and more. Think on the ways that God has shown his love to you, how God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit has clearly taught you the love of God. Remember that God's love for your brothers and sisters is just as profound, just as deep, just as magnificent for them as it is for you. Consider the brothers and sisters around you as as if they were your immediate family. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That book I mentioned earlier, Heaven is a World of Love, ends with this exhortation the writer says that by living in love in this world you might be like the residents of heaven and have even on earth a foretaste of the heavenly pleasures and the heavenly delights to come church this is how we can have a small glimpse of heaven on earth living in the church being taught by God to love one another and doing so may we be a church that loves as God has loved us. Let's pray together. Father, your your commands are not burdensome. But even as we think about this topic of love, we can be burdened with a, a lack in our own hearts. Lord, we recognize that that's just sin lingering within us. It is is our own sin that that causes us, that hinders us from loving as you have loved us. Lord, let us not meditate on our, our hindrances that way, but let us focus deeply on how you have poured your love into our hearts. Father, would you let your love be the motivation for us to do the same to our brothers and sisters around us? God, I thank you for this body called Harvest Point Community Church where I can look around and see brothers and sisters depending on Christ, living for Christ, trusting in Christ. Would you help each of us be like Christ to one another, not saving each other from sin, but but demonstrating a true, genuine love for one another. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us. We thank you most of all for your spirit that teaches us and applies it to our hearts. Amen.